Welcome to the SparkCom podcast. How are you doing, Adam? I'm doing great. How about you, Manny? Doing very well. I want to jump right in today to our uh, episode concerning the magical word, the pivot. This is a word that's thrown around both the startup industries as well as the, the global market. Um, I want to go into some of the particulars on some large-scale pivots that are very notable, but I want to be able to, to dig down deeper into some more strategic pivots of startups and small companies alike. So I want to get your thoughts on pivots, Adam, and then we can dive in on some examples of uh, some big, medium, and small pivots. Sure. So here we are on July 17th. We're like four months into this COVID-19 lockdown crisis and uh, people out of work and small businesses closed. And so it's becoming very popular for people to talk about having to pivot their business. Uh, the unfortunate thing is that an awful lot of people don't have it right. And uh, we need to help try to get people to think through what it means to have a successful strategic pivot. I was uh, looking yesterday at a story about a company they supplied plastic sheeting to the auto industry. Now, let's start right there. When they asked the fellow what his company was, he said, we supply plastic sheeting. Um, that's not a value proposition, right? Right off the get-go, he's just describing something he does. So that, that caused my antenna to go up. But then he said that uh, what happened was that the demand for his plastic sheeting fell off a cliff. And so they started thinking about, could we make parts for ventilators? And he said they pivoted to making parts for ventilators to sell to Ford. That's not a pivot. What that is, is an example of flexible manufacturing. You had a manufacturing line, you were making A, and you, at the request of a customer, you made B. Now, if his value proposition was that he provided flexible manufacturing capacity to an industry, then I would say he might, you know, he, he, he was exemplifying his value delivery system. But his point was that I make plastic sheeting, now I'm going to go make ventilator parts. That's not a pivot. That's just running off to chase the next thing. There's no strategy to that. There's no understanding of a value proposition to that. It's just saying, hey, in the short term, we're going to do something different. The problem is, is that he's not thinking through where he's going to have to be in uh, 2021 and what it's going to take to have a successful business in 2021. What it sounds like, and I'm pretty sure, is that he's going to go make some ventilator parts. Well, okay, that's going to be fine for a while. Then that business will go away. And he's relying on his old business to come back. Whoa, now we all got to think about that. Is that old business going to come back? Probably not. So yes, he does need to pivot, but what's happened is he's missed the point. A strategic pivot is always built on understanding your value proposition. It's understanding how to go pivot to do the thing your customer really wants. And that means it's not built on understanding your value delivery system. In his case, his value delivery system was making plastic sheeting, but rather based upon the value proposition you have. So my absolute star of this is Netflix. And why? Because Netflix beat Blockbuster by distributing videos to people's homes, right? We got rid of the store, sent things to people's homes. As this was being very successful, Blockbuster went out of business. The question became, what's going to be act two? Where are you going to go? And the pressure applied on Netflix by the analysts was to go into general merchandise distribution. The analysts were seeing what was happening with Amazon.com and they said, oh, look, you know, Amazon's delivering all this stuff to people's homes. They started off with books. Now they're doing a lot of things. You started off delivering movies. You could do a lot of this sort of thing. We all know they didn't do that. Why didn't they do that? And that's because the CEO, Reed Hastings, and his team really did understand what a strategic pivot was. They went back and said, what are we really good at? So we're good at delivering entertainment. 
We understand customer demand for entertainment so deeply that the studios come to us and ask us how many DVDs should we produce? What would be the expectation for this product? And we're very, very good at predicting based upon the actors, the writers, the producers, uh, where the movie was made, plot theme, all these kinds of elements. They said, we're really good at it. We really, really understand entertainment. On the other hand, what do we know about general merchandise distribution? Not a whole lot. Yes, we know how to get videos out and get them back, but we don't really know much about what, how to handle thousands and thousands and millions and millions of SKUs the way that Amazon does. And they're way ahead of us. Amazon's are so, so far ahead of us. So if we try to strategic pivot, that's really not what we'd do. What we'd be doing is saying we're trying to build out our value delivery system. We know how to ship things. We're going to keep trying to ship more things. But that's not our strategic value. Our strategic value at Netflix is this entertainment thing. And where's entertainment headed? It's headed towards streaming. So what they did was instead of heading off and chasing Amazon and general merchandise distribution, they said our value proposition is understanding entertainment, delivery of entertainment, that's going to head to streaming. So what does that mean? It means we're going to have to figure out how to do streaming, figure out how to be the best at streaming, and realize that our value delivery system around shipping videos is going to go away. So really a strategic pivot is when you understand your customer and you go to where the customer needs to go next. You don't build it off your value delivery system. You don't build it off your skill set. You don't build it off what you might call your core because that's where your, most of your assets and employees are, but rather it's based upon your customer needs, knowing customer needs. And in the case of Netflix, they understood the customer need, the need was for entertainment, and realized that the new value delivery system was gonna be in streaming, and so they pivoted the entire company away from sending DVDs and towards streaming. Let me stop you right there because I want to make another point and I want to tease out something. So we're, we're talking about this in a 2020 fashion. We're looking backwards at, at this happening, you know, whatever, five, six, eight years ago. How do a, how do people now that have a business that are struggling, looking at the next step, how do you see them truly looking at their value and their value delivery system so they can make that pivot? All right. The first thing is you need to know what was the customer need you were really needing. And I mean, what's the thing that they weren't getting from somebody else? Why did they choose to have your experience? Why did they choose to have you as a supplier? That's your real value proposition. So, you know, for example, if you had a restaurant, why do people choose your restaurant? And people get very vague around this. They'll be like, well, okay, it's because of location or it's because of the quality of my food or it's because of my menu. But they'll be very, very vague instead of getting very specific about why their restaurant is really, really desirable. And the reason that's important is because now your restaurant gets closed. And you're saying, well, what am I going to do next? Right? The issue is because you don't know why people really value you, you're likely to chase off on the wrong thing. Right? Yeah. Exactly. So you, you, you'll invest your money and then you'll oh, why? Because in the back of your mind, you're hoping, oh, everything will go back to normal and I can go do what I did and it'll magically work again the way it worked before. But you've got to make that decision about where you're going to do the next thing. You really have to think very deeply about what, what, what it was that you did that gave you real value to your customer. Yeah, and I think that a lot of people make the mistake of, of asking people that really like them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you're going to interview your customer, you've got to do it in a, in a manner which gives you that true value of it. And then you're able to then 
understand. You made a, a reference a couple of uh, episodes ago regarding um, a $30 meal uh, served in a styrofoam plate, right? You went to that restaurant, not because necessarily the food, you went for the ambiance, you went for the service, you went for the experience. The food was good, but if you're gonna spend $30 on a, on a pasta plate, it just didn't make sense of it, you know, if it's served in a styrofoam dish, you know, and, and, and I think that's important for people to realize that the so customer is gonna speak positive and negative. Yeah. I had a client that uh, was in the um, barcode business, right? And so they like they wanted to have their customers come in and do one of these customer reviews, you know, their, their top customer evaluations and discussions. And they'd done this a few times before a few years, and they asked me to do it. And I said, well, why do you want me to run a facilitate a discussion with your biggest customers? Uh, would you like me to tell you what they're going to say? They would like you to make more of what you made. They'd like you to make it faster. They'd like you to make it better. And by the way, it should be cheaper. So if you make it more, better, faster, cheaper, that's gonna be the conclusion of that meeting. So let's just sit down with your product line, figure out each element, which one you can make better, faster, cheaper. We'll send that to your customers and say, see, we're listening to you, we're going better, faster, cheaper. I said, what you really wanna know is you wanna know what the threats are to your business. Their equipment was very, very good. They were the number one market share leader by hands down considerably. Um, but what I had seen on the periphery were that people were starting to use personal computers hooked up to an HP printer. Now, my client's equipment was very expensive and it had, uh, you know, you could replace all the parts in it. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was very high end, very industrial. But the question was, could somebody just take any old PC, hook it up to one of these really inexpensive printers like made by HP, and then just work that printer to death and throw it away and get another one? Don't bother to fix it. You know, yeah. take a $35 printer, work it to death. So I said, we, we go to have the customer conversation and they're going through, oh, this is how I'd like product A improved, product B improved, product C improved. And then I finally said, are any of you testing using a Microsoft driver on a PC to drive one of these low cost printers in your industrial environment? I said, if you're, if you're using it, you're doing a test, raise your hand. They all raised their hands. I said, okay, if you're testing more than um, a, a thousand units, drop your hand. I'm sorry, less than a thousand units, drop your hand, all hands stayed up. So I mean, they were testing more than 1,000 printers out there among this large, these largest customers. I said, if you're testing less than 2,000 printers, drop your hand, all hands stayed up. I said, I think I can stop now. The point here is that the marketplace was evaluating an entirely different solution, an entirely different value delivery system, rather than very expensive printers that could be repaired and maintained and all this kind of thing, just the idea of a disposable printer on a Microsoft driver. And that was really what my customer needed to know. You know, what they thought they were delivering was this printer. Well, no, what they were delivering was a low-cost barcode to be used in these industrial environments. And that could be done in more than one way. In fact, it could be done with like an infrared device, QRQ codes were coming along. There was a lot of new technology, that all of which threatened their business. And what they really had to go back to saying is, what are we doing? We're helping these people identify products, move products, how we do use, we use barcodes, how we use barcodes, and then keep understanding how to deliver against that need. That's what so few people do. They start saying, well, I, you know, they, they, they drop back from, I help people solve a problem in the workforce, or I help people solve a problem in the factory, to I make barcode printers, or I make barcode machines, right? Yeah, yeah so I'm, I'm uh, reminded of an example here of a, of a local company called CropTrack. CropTrack came to be 
um, initially back in, I think, 2009 as a database to record uh, agronomy data. So agronomy is the science of the measurement of plants. So you can imagine as a, as a farmer, you want to make sure that your plants are healthy. And if you lose them, it's, your, it's money, right? Thrown away. So they just built this database and they were doing okay. Um, but they soon realized that doing okay wasn't okay with them. So they made a pivot. And this was a pivot that involved one of the big uh, trends we talk about in, in a matter of speaking is the sort of intelligence. They created a farming management system that could not only record the agronomy data, but uh, record logistical information about the crops and provide that to the end customer. So if I'm a farmer and I'm growing a spinach to Del Monte, you know, I'm selling my spinach to them and then they sell it to the, the end consumer. So it's important for Del Monte to know when I'm ready to ship, when I'm gonna be cultivating and all that. So that information, they, that, but it's actually asynchronous because of how it's laid out. And they grew from just a couple of guys to now they have over a hundred developers. Right. So they, they basically ballooned because they were able to really look at where the market was going, not necessarily where they were sitting at that moment in time. Right. I mean, a farmer, if you ask a farmer, what does he want to do? He doesn't want to buy data. He wants to sell more spinach. Right. And that's the point that, the, that everybody has to get in their heads that our customers don't want to buy our products. They want to sell more stuff. They want to accomplish something. We have to tie into what they want to accomplish. We have to deliver against what their goals are. They're, and then we're adding true value. So as you said, in one instance, I'm going to sell you data. Okay, that's going to cost me money. What am I going to do with it? I got to figure that out. Now I'm going to come in and say, I got a solution for how you're going to sell more spinach. Oh, now you're getting to what the, the customer really wants what the, and how you can help them. And this, this then, as you said, is a pivot because now we're going from a database company to being a, a, a solutions provider as you said, with intelligence built into the product, which is one of the four big mega trends upon which success is today. Yep, exactly. It's also uh, interesting that, you know, if you ask, like you mentioned earlier, a customer what they want, uh, especially if it's one of your large customers, they're just going to tell you they want more of what you have, right, already. But how do you, how do you see them making that jump to a, a larger market? I mean, if you consider um, a medium-sized company, service providing a service to a large company, how, do you, how does that medium-sized company provide a service to 100 large companies? Well, again, it, 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 now you're talking about scale, right? And how do I try to scale this up? And the point here is that scale should rely, relies on the fact that there are a lot more customers with that need, okay? If there aren't more customers with that need, then it doesn't matter. So I'm reminded of another experience. There was a company, a fast food company, that sold milkshakes, right? And so they said, we sell all these milkshakes in the morning between 6 a.m. when we open and about 8.30 a.m. And then the milkshake machine sits there and we don't get much sales of milkshakes. And so they kept saying, well, what do we do to sell more milkshakes? You know, could we, should we do a bundled package, you know, like uh, buy a hamburger and get a milkshake with it in some kind of a, of a price point. Um, or another one would be, should we um, set it up so that you could get refills on your milkshake? Or, they had all these different ideas to try to sell more milkshakes. And I asked them, I said, did you try it? And they said, yeah, we've tried a lot of it. We tested it. I said, did you sell a lot more milkshakes? The answer was no, we really didn't sell that many more milkshakes. And so 
The point here was to understand the reason they were selling milkshakes in the morning. And by the way, there was a little tip off, which was that they were almost all sold through the drive through window. Okay, so what we learned was that we started asking customers why they bought a milkshake. Commuters were buying these milkshakes and then they had something to eat during a long commute. So you've got 45 minutes in the vehicle, they've got this milkshake, they can sit there and sip on it, and it lasts a long time. You know, if they bought some kind of a sandwich, gobble gobble, it's gone quickly, it's a little bit of a problem to eat in the car, right? So they wanted something, but they wanted something that lasted. Now that, so that meant, great, we can sell more milkshakes then, but there was no equal part, no equal use, right? So what I'm saying is that, okay, we've got milkshake machines, we can make a lot of milkshakes for lunch, why weren't people buying milkshakes for lunch? Because they didn't have the need, right? The need was in the morning with the commute. That's when they had this need for something they could eat, it was a breakfast type product that would last a long time while they were driving. So when you think about scale, you can only scale if the need scales. So if that need is out there and it's scaling, you're gonna scale. But if you try to force scaling by saying, well, I did this and it worked really, really well, and now I want to make sure everybody can do it all day long every day, that doesn't mean it's going to work. It doesn't mean that you're going to be, that it's going to grow like that. Yeah, exactly. Let's, uh, let's pivot the conversation slightly and, and talk about a, um, another company that's, that's made some, uh, some interesting pivots in their own day, uh, and that's Microsoft. As uh, I know you've been uh, um, very vocal about Microsoft for a while. So I want to get your take on the, the landscape from the beginning to where there are now, where they are now of where this giant mega company has, has gone. I mean, they were, they were at the top of the hill for a while and they've gone down a bit, you know, with the advent of other companies. So I just want to get your thoughts on where they are, where they were, where they are and where they're going. Sure. So Microsoft, as you know, started off making operating systems for computers and uh, they, they never got into making hardware themselves. They became a software company and they saw that as being a viable uh, fun way to go forward, which was true. And they, uh, when graphical user interfaces came along, uh, they were able to adapt their operating system from a text base to a graphical user interface that was called Windows. And so they made Windows very popular, and because it would run on machines made by other people, other people started making very cheap machines, and so they became the winner of the, the, micro, of the PC business, right? And, and as that moved along, they kept thinking, why, why do people use PCs? And they realized that there was office tools, um, spreadsheets, word processing, uh, presentation graphics, and they said, well, what we should do is we should provide that as well. So they came up with a product around that, those, those primary uses. And once again, they dominated the marketplace because of the way the products interacted and worked smoothly together. So now we've got this company that's doing very, very well in PCs. And the internet comes along. And when the internet come, came along, there were two leaders in the company, Bill Gates and Steve Ballmer. And the company was just pledging along with updates to their office programs. They were pledging along with their updates to their uh, operating system. They were very, very excited about it. And so when the internet happened, the company sort of said, so what? So what? it's a little thing, people are doing stuff over on the side, you know, we don't really understand how it affects us, we don't understand how our customers would use it. And, and so the CEO, I mean, the, the op, chief operating officer, he wasn't doing anything, but the CEO, who was um, Gates, said, no, wait a minute, th this is going to be completely different. So what he saw was this, how the world was changing, and he said, our customers are going to change, and we're gonna to have to make it possible for them to interact on the internet, bring data, share data back and forth, that kind of stuff. And so they, he pushed the organization 
into the internet. And it, of course, obviously, they, they wouldn't have been able to survive if they not done that. Then he subsequently retires and he lets Bomber take over the CEO position. So what does Bomber focus on? PCs, 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 PCs. And you're right, by the year 2010, it was pretty clear that what was happening was that they were so committed to launching new versions of Windows and, and Office that they weren't really looking around in the world around them and seeing what was going on and what was happening with software as a service, what was happening with cloud computing, what was happening with mobile devices. They were just kind of, they were missing all of that. And I became very negative on the company. And I was able to write several columns for Forbes at the time in which I described how the company was releasing new products that nobody cared about. They'd overshot the need. We were all happy enough with Windows. We were happy enough with Office. We didn't need Clippy. We didn't, the things they would do to upgrade the product were unnecessary. They'd overshot our need without looking around as to what new needs were being developed because of mobile devices. And, and certainly it was true, the value of Microsoft effectively didn't change for the next eight years. It was the same price when you look at the stock charts when they're bomber. Yep. And finally, the board of directors says, you know, this whole mobile thing matters. They fire Balmer and they put a new CEO in. And I thought for sure, well, that's probably the end of it because they are so far out of the game. But the new CEO pivoted. He stood up and he said, you know what? We're not going to put a lot of money into um, Office anymore or Windows. That's not where we're going to go. We're going to get into software as a service, you know, which was Office 365. We're going to get into the cloud, which is Azure. We're going to go push ourselves to be competitive with Mike, with uh, uh, AWS, Amazon Web Services. We're going to, you know, nobody should own an entire market. We got away with it for a long time with Windows. We know how that happens. If we don't get out there and compete with AWS quick, we're going nowhere. And, and look what they've done. By taking themselves out of being a PC company, refocusing their resources on cloud computing, mobile devices, helping customers get mobile, which was the real need, they've now resurrected the company and you know it's right up there worth as much money as Apple today. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's done extraordinarily well. So that's a good example of taking a look at, uh, you know, you have a very, very successful business, but the needs, your customer needs, they, they, they keep changing because technology happens, regulatory yeah. change happens, and you have to keep yourself updated to meet those needs and changing needs. So let me ask you a question. This is a, a, maybe a little of a trick question. Have you ever heard of a, of a device called the Kin? No, that's a new one. Tell me about it. Are you serious? I think, I, I don't think, I'm, maybe I have and I forgot, but I don't. Okay, so uh, this is another one of Microsoft's big mistakes. They released a product called the Kin, and it was a competitor to the BlackBerry and the early iPhone. They spent over a billion dollars of development of the Kin, and it lasted in the market for all of two months. <laughs> Huge mistake, but they were smart enough to realize, and this is the thing about pivots, is uh, I think it's, in, everybody, it's all fine and dandy when you talk about it. Oh yeah, we're gonna pivot to do this, we're gonna pivot to do that, but it comes at an enormous cost. And, uh, and that was just, a, that, that one in particular has a dollar value to it, a billion dollars that was lost and learned. I mean, they learned from it, but it was a very, very expensive mistake. But what that indicates right there is, you know, here I am looking at what's going on in the company and I'm watching all these resources going into Office and Windows. And there was so much more than what you say, a billion dollars went into Ken, but that got lost. 
it got completely lost because the resources really were going in this other direction, right? What, what we see there is somebody should have said, if we're going to go after mobile, let's go after mobile. And then they should have really put a lot more resources. A billion dollars would have been sort of a drop in the bucket at that point. And they had to come out and talk about the need to change their company and become a mobile company and this kind of thing. And um, the fact that it completely got past my radar is just an indication of how unwilling they were to really commit to the pivot because they wanted to try to hold on to the market they had and hope they could slide into the other market. And well, no, it turns out it's hard. It's a lot of work. There's already competitors over there. Nobody wants to let us have sales easily. And so you give up. And that's a big risk. I mean, people have to realize when you get ready to pivot, you have to commit. You have to commit like Netflix did. You know, all of these warehouses full of DVDs, all of these experts yeah. on logistics, they're all going to go away. And we're going to fill ourselves up with a bunch of tech guys that really understand streaming. You know, and that's so what, what ended up happening with the kin is they, they released basically a, a closed platform and they were expecting all of their windows users to slide right into this new uh, device, this new phone. Mm -hmm. And what they didn't really realize is that like you kind of mentioned, the world is more than just spreadsheets and uh, word processing. Um, and they had a closed system. Nobody was, they didn't open it up for other developers which is not easy, right? Uh, Android basically is an open door and iPhone's a little bit more uh, judicious on who they allow to, to add apps onto their phones. But it just goes to show they didn't really get a true value of, uh, of what their customers were, where the market was going with their products. Right. right. I mean, I think they took, a, in that case, like a lot of people, they said, oh, hey, there's a market over there. Let's throw a product at it, right? That never works. What you have to say is, what's the need, and and how am I going to fulfill the need? And can I fulfill that need better than other people fulfill those needs, or is there some part? Are they getting their needs say 60, 70 percent met, and there's still an unmet portion? Can I take care of that unmet portion? When you figure those things out, then you're not just throwing product in the market. You know, Motorola and Nokia and Ericsson owned the mobile phone business. I mean, they owned the business. And now, now it's owned by, I mean, not owned by, but the leader is clearly the iPhone from Apple. How? Well, what they did was they said, well, I can talk on a Motorola phone. I can check my voicemail on a Motorola phone. But what else would I like to do if I'm working? You know, and they start thinking through all these different things that you'd like to do, uh, you know, check your stocks, check your airplane um, uh, departures, things that you would like to do. And they said, what if we took the phone and made it into this product that you could do all these other things, what we now call apps, which people weren't doing at that time, right? So they start putting all these apps on and they went to it and they said, you know what, we need, we'll go fund a group of developers to take our operating system, iOS, and build some apps on it. So that now what happens is when somebody, you say, well, you can have a phone, you have a Motorola phone, you can talk. And it, by the way, it could be really, really small. And all, you know, that was a big thing. Or you could have this new thing called an iPhone and you can talk and you can do voicemail and you can do texting and you can do email and you can check the weather and you can check the price of your stocks and you can check whether or not your plane's going to be on time. Oh, and if you're a doctor, you can even pull up medical records and take a look at some of the patient medical records and it's HIPAA compliant. And so this list starts growing. And if you remember when the iPhone came out, they said the, code, the, the, the jingle was, there's an app for that. Right? There's an app for that. And that was to get us all to understand that the phone could be so much more. So what they saw was, here's this need to be mobile, but it's only being partially met. If we could go that next level and meet it with these other resources, then we got a really good game on. 
And it was so good that not only did they get beyond those guys, but in the industrial world, you of course had research in motion at the time as it was called, which is now called BlackBerry. Yeah. And, the, and that, because it didn't support apps, they ended up getting the whole thing. They got the, yeah. custom, the, the consumer and they got the business. Exactly. Yeah, I think uh, people that are, that are contemplating a pivot, um, they don't realize the, the sheer cost of both time and money. Um, but they also have the, they've got to be able to, to really break away and to their new, the new pivot. Yeah. Because as you said, if, if they're hanging on to everything else and just putting their toe in it, that's not really a pivot. That's more like a, a market experiment. Right. And what was your commitment? So this fellow that was bragging in the article about how quickly his organization had stepped up to making ventilator parts. I'm like, okay, so are you a ventilator part manufacturer now? And obviously what they were trying to say was, no, they're just waiting for the, you know, they're going to help out with ventilators and then the world's going to get back to normal. We're going to go back to our old business. And, you know, it was just such a, a failure of strategy to think through. Um, yeah, you probably kept your employees busy and yeah, you probably made tanks of cash flow and you did some good things there um, for society. But at the same time, you better be starting to think really hard. Okay. In 2021, what am I going to do to really help my customers be successful when they come back? Whenever we start to go to the next wave, the new world, the post-COVID world, what's it going to look like and how am I going to meet needs in that world? And uh, use the fact that you're selling some ventilator parts um, on the side right now to fund that sort of really heavy thinking and exactly. then get ready to commit, really commit to what you're going to do next yes. to be successful. Absolutely. Well, this has been a, a good conversation today, Adam. Um, I want to remind uh, those that are part of this show that, uh, you know, we're working on a, a course this summer, which will help the, um, the student look at the world in a different way, uh, look at it in an innovative way. And uh, we'll be talking more about that next time we, we meet. I want to go down deeper into some of what Sir Richard Branson has done or did with his companies to create space to be able to, to do this uh, new innovative platform uh, value delivery in a, in a safe manner. So we'll talk about that next time. Have a good week, Manny. See you later. Thank you very much, Adam. Take care. We'll see Thank you later. You.